0: Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 1st, 2015. This is part two of an episode I did last week, where I talked about totalitarianism being the opiate of the intelligentsia. And intelligentsia have in all ages basically been advisors and so on that have coteries or friends, of similar minds who want some kind of revolution where they can set themselves up in power naturally. Today we have that going on naturally. They're actually used at the lower levels. But you'll find that uh, academia is completely on board with transforming society into the way they want the world to be run by themselves naturally the scientific community and that's why you have all the nonsense about global warming and etc as they, they bring science up to it's what they call its rightful position in governing the people so you'll find um, lots of literature out there on that too of course i've gone through so much of it over the years i can't be boring over it again but this is the age we're in and i talked about um veteran russell Uh, talking about it too, in the 1940s and 50s, where science would be take its rightful place. And if there was going to be a a tyranny, he said, I would rather it be a scientific tyranny. He also said the scientific tyranny would be utterly ruthless. It would demolish all the old norms and bring in the new, uh, completely way of living, actually, a new way of life for every single person and for this global system. What a you understand what power is, remember. Most folk can't understand what power is because in their own lives they're pretty limited in power. You have so many agencies above you with more power than you, uh, and you're, you're all uh, subservient to them basically. They have authority by law over you. And uh, we obey in many, many ways. We can be coerced into obeying by fear. And the threat of reprisal upon you, and you can also have uh, economic control. It's a big one. Economic control—that's what they used to in Britain and countries like that, across Europe—to have less children after World War Two, for instance. Uh, they made it almost impossible for a lot of families, even working class families too, to have to really basically maintain themselves with the, the actual numbers of reproduction. So they fell behind, and that was all intentional as well. There's always a, a bigger power and, and a bigger agenda in this geopolitical goal of uh, the, the real quiet tyrants behind the scenes, They're not so quiet amongst themselves but you will see seldom, if ever, anything really published upon them. They have lots of front groups, and uh, they get what they want by simply, and get away with it by simply not appearing so much in the newspapers. And last week, too, I started off by a letter that was exchanged between George Orwell and Aldous Huxley, guys who wrote in the novel systems, their novel books, I should say, about totalitarian systems. Remember, they lived through an era of totalitarianism, with revolutions beginning, well, even in the late 1800s, into the early 1900s, and the Bolshevik Revolution, and the introduction of communism, which came out of it, which was really, uh, again, another front for a a small group of people to take over and run the world what they called scientifically. And uh, they were utterly ruthless, indeed, in the Soviet Union. But this same system of socialism was picked up on by the bankers who funded the uh, revolution in Russia. Western bankers who had their own idea of how the world should be run naturally with themselves at the top. the really big private banking families that ran international uh, systems of uh, debt and, and uh, credit and all the rest of it to nations and out of that you had the Royal Institute of International Affairs that came out of that, the Lord Milner Group in Britain with their view of global domination uh, with the wealthy folk running the whole world the presently wealthy folk at that time running the whole the whole planet the proper people I might say and everyone obeying and doing what they were told to do so that's still the goal of course of power power never changes the lust for power has many fronts, many faces, but it's always the same thing in the end. But we're really on our way to it, been on our way to it for an awful long time, and the creation of nations and, and amalgamating them into it's like business consolidations, uh, bringing the, the countries into blocks. We forget about the Soviet bloc, they called it. Now you have the European bloc of traders in the European Union, and the North American block as well, that's going into the whole of America's block up, which was always intended to do. And a borderless um, system of the free flow. They used to say labor and goods, now they say uh, people and goods, because they don't need the labor anymore. But it won't stop mass immigration. That's part of the plan again, too. So we're going through big changes. Most folk can't see it. They get hung up on the politicians that are placed in front of them. And they're coerced in many ways too and coaxed into voting for who the elite want. And it doesn't really matter because they've all been vetted by uh, the present existing elite anyway. That They depend on them for their financial backing even to run. And nothing's given in politics for nothing, including backing by big international corporations or anybody else for that matter who's got lots of money. There's always something uh, to be paid back by changing systems and introducing laws and various other things, too. Nothing really changes. Sad thing, but it's true, isn't it? Things are very predictable because of that, too. But uh, getting back to Huxley, I'll just mention this a little bit again of Huxley's, uh, who read George R. Walsh 1984. And he'd already put his own book out in the 1930s, Aldous Huxley, of Brave New World's. Where he, he didn't, he, who who really was writing about the final outcome, a transition beyond uh, the overt aggressive force that was going to be used to get people into this brave new world, where George Orwell was really going through, again, right after World War Two the big movements who wanted totalitarianism and they'd use war to get there, basically. So you had the, the total force of George Orwell. Uh, and again, in a completely monitored society, everyone was on camera, everyone was monitored all the time uh, right down to what they were thinking almost and um, he didn't go beyond that into the scientifically controlled system so much although science was used for indoctrination purposes in the totalitarian state in both the books but uh, in Huxley's view, he saw the, the, the beyond that that particular era of blind force being used in fear, until the folk were compliant, and they accepted their obedience or slavery uh, without any qualms, because scientific techniques were to be used upon them and reared them from birth, basically, which we have now in indoctrination, it says, through everything and all your fiction as well, as non-fiction. But th- this article here, is, where Aldous Huxley's replying to Orwell, he says, this is the first uh, hints of a philosophy of the ultimate revolution. That's what they call it at the top. This is a revolution which lies beyond politics and economics and which aims at total subversion of the individual's psychology and physiology. Awfully interesting, isn't it? Are to be found in the Marquis de Sade who regarded himself as the continuator or the consummator of Robespierre and Babouf. The philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984, so he's, he's criticising 1984, is a sadism which has been carried to its logical conclusion by going beyond sex and denying it. Where in actual fact the policy of the boot on the face can go on indefinitely seems doubtful, my own belief is that the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and of satisfying its lust for power. Now, for folk who don't lust for power, it's very—it's almost uh, it's too abstract to comprehend. But you have to understand, tyrants are born amongst you every year, potential tyrants, across the whole planet. And they'll use every available system and, and, and systems that already exist to get there. Often behind they'll get behind things and work behind things. And at the right time they come to the fore. And I'll set up the circumstances so that they can come to the fore. But he's talking about the, the different techniques. So the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing and satisfying its lust for power. And these ways will resemble those which are I described in Brave New Worlds. Then it goes into the the early uh, systems of animal magnetism and hypnotism and so on. This is partly because of the prevailing materialism and partly because of prevailing respectability. 19th century philosophers and men of science were not willing to investigate the odder facts of psychology for practical men, such as politicians, soldiers, and policemen, to apply in the field of government. There was and looked into these techniques of running the people, you see, and controlling them, thanks to the voluntary ignorance of our fathers. Now, he's thanking the ignorance of, of not going into uh, the Bernays techniques, for instance, that now has spawned off into many different uh, subcategories of a science and social psychology, etc., and and uh, behaviorism, which now are using all marketing techniques and, and behavior uh, of, of different spectrums of society and manipulating everybody you see. And they advise your governments and the, your educational systems and how to put things across in and, and ways which the suspect or the recipient is going to be unaware that they're being technically uh, brainwashed in a sense. see so thanks to the voluntary ignorance of the fathers the advent of the ultimate revolution was delayed for five or six generations. Another lucky accident was Freud's inability to hypnotize successfully and his consequent disparagement of hypnotism. This delayed the general application of hypnotism to psychiatry for at least 40 years. And he goes into, again, psychoanalysis being combined now, after this, with hypnosis. And hypnosis has been made easy and indefinitely extensible through the use of barbiturates which induce a hypnoid and suggestible state. What well, so is the television, folks, now? Yeah? We're talking about using scientific techniques now. Uh, and even the most recalcitrant subjects. Within the next generation, I believe the world's rulers will discover that infant conditioning, infant conditioning. And there's many studies about the woman and how the baby reacts inside the womb to all kinds of different kinds of music, how it'll adapt even to Initially it will move all over the place inside the womb uh, and during pregnancy uh, to certain loud things like rock music and then rap music but eventually when it realises it's, it's not going to... This, this thing goes on without harming it, it will adapt to even that. So it's in the womb. As instruments of government, then clubs and prisons and the lust for power. So he doesn't deny it that the lust for power will always be there amongst the ruling oligarchy is that the lust for power can be just as completely satisfied by suggesting people into loving their servitude as by flogging and kicking them into obedience. In other words, I feel that the nightmare of nineteen eighty four is destined to modulate, to change gradually into the nightmare of a world having more resemblance to that which I imagined in Brave New World the change will be brought about as a result of a felt need for increased efficiency. Meanwhile, of course, there may be a large scale biological and t- atomic war, in which case we shall have nightmares of other and scarcely imaginable kinds. These guys were in the know, and Huxley maybe even more so, because uh, the Huxleys were, according to the brother of Aldous Huxley, Julian Huxley, who was well up, uh, up there at the United Nations and planned parenthood and population reduction and all the rest of it, uh, he said he and his, talking about families of uh, who'd been in the leadership positions, he said, we belong to the scientific community. And that was Julian Huxley. They're the scientific masters who would control the world on behalf of the other specialized groups and categories of masters that would control the world, you see. And last week I also talked about Pierre Trudeau and now his son who they put in as Prime Minister of Canada. And it's quite interesting because everything sold to you as a consumer. I was listening to one of these social psychologists and evolutionary psychologists and a whole bunch of categories of them all working together. But this guy was from Canada and he works in a university and he he said that they sold it, they packaged Justin Trudeau but it was much the same way. His dad was packaged. but That's another thing. But they packaged them just much the same way by uh, as if we were selling a rock star to the young. You see, uh, similar to how they sold Bill Clinton initially into getting all the women voters in. From to Justin Trudeau said this, uh, this. This psychologist he says, uh, he, he's, he's called. He's a pretty boy. That's that's his actual words. And uh, he says he's the kind that you would they would use to make. Uh, a music star, for instance, and all the young girls were screaming, or crazy over this image of the pretty young boy, the pretty boyish features, you see. But not manly, said, said the psychologist. And that overrode the, the politician's actual failure to answer anything in, in a kind of manly way, you see, during his running up for the election. Uh, and, and that over... because people voted for his appearance and for, oh, a young, trendy guy, etc., and etc so that 's how, how they voted them in, so science was was heavily used to get in uh, Pierre Trudeau, but they, they use these characters for matter if his left wing, right wing or it 's all the same to me because it 's all planned long in advance in fact i 'm pretty sure many of them are groomed for many, many years, and they 're actually told when their turn will come i think we're already, we 're already we definitely are not in, in the scientifically controlled system have been for an awful long time through the 20th century into this particular century. But we, and I mentioned Pierre Trudeau, who was literally a communist. And remember, he, uh, there was even articles put out at the time, I think, uh, where they said that uh, the communists were told, outside of Russia, uh, not to say they were communists, uh, they were under different party names, and uh, they would get into power by deception. And oddly enough, when Pierre Trudeau got in, he says, we, we did it, we did it, we actually got in. But he was talking to the, the fellow travelers that they actually got him in uh, way back years ago. And he drastically changed Canada, too, with his policies. So now you have the son of Pierre Trudeau, who again rode the coattails, according to that psychologist, of his daddy. And if it would been another 30 years, nobody would remember his daddy anyway, so they wouldn't vote for him. So you ride the coattails of your daddy, who was also sold as a kind of superstar type. that had him with a broad-brimmed uh, hat half the time, uh, ridiculously broad, and a, a kind of uh, almost a, a Sherlock Holmes-type black coat on. And he'd whirl for the cameras and pirouette and things like that. He was meant to be trendy and, and with it and hip, as they said back there. So now they've given him the pretty boy image, uh, Uh, to get uh, uh, Pierre's son in, and you have to remember that whoever they put in really, generally, not always, but generally, uh, they're simply told what to do by their advisors and so on. Pierre Trudeau was far sharper intellectually and a great debater, uh, spontaneously so in Parliament, uh, than I think Justin Trudeau could ever really be. But that doesn't matter, they've got in the guy who's going to push the next phase of globalism for Canada and for sustainability and for the carbon idea of global warming, etc. and all the taxes for the big corporations that are going to benefit from swapping all these carbon credits, etc. and changing the way that we live again, scientifically, the guys behind them. Last week I also touched on an article a good article, too, of which is kind of similar to what I'm heading it here, and it was um, by Peter Foster, Justin Trudeau, and the China Derangement Syndrome. And that's where Justin, when he was over in China, actually said that he, he praised the, the dictatorship because he gets so much done, he goes through this policy of pretending to pacify and appease the people, you see. You simply got it done, all your big plans by the intelligentsia, as they call themselves, that runs the communist system of China. So this is what this Justin Trudeau admires. This article goes on to say that um, the contention that China is some sort of green model is flat out ridiculous says that this week since 2013, IEA World Economic Outlook confirmed that the smog-bound Middle Kingdom is destined to be the world's largest and fastest-growing user of fossil fuels. Already is. In particular, coal for at least another decade. Now, remember, under the free trade agreements, these countries who sign on you know, are still classed as third world, by the way, even though China's the manufacturer for the planet, and we're all financing them uh, in China. Uh, they don't have to go along with the policies that advocate for everybody else to use across the world because the class is third world. India is the same and every, every newcomer that gets the same status under the World Trade Organization uh, doesn't have to start paying taxes on anything for, to do with carbon-related or climate change until they say that they're, they're now completely self-sufficient. Anyway, his dictatorship, that is control of people's lives, has always been the central motivating force of leftist ideology. Praise for dictatorship as a more efficient and even more moral system. has a long history among not just fellow travellers and useful idiots on the left. Prominent economists such as Paul Samuelson thought it inevitable after World War II that Soviet communism would outstrip the West. It says, in his younger days, Mr. Trudeau's father, Pierre Trudeau, declared, with a great deal to learn from the Soviet Union. As liberal prime minister, he was an unabashed fan of both the Castro and Mao regimes. In the wake of the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre, he took Justin and his brothers to China, where he was treated as a hero. Remember, this guy's now, the son's now uh, prime minister of Canada. His support for dictatorship tends to be based on power lust or economic ignorance, even on the part of noble economists. It went through a bit of a rust spot in the wake of the Soviet collapse, but has it already been building a new head of steam in the environmental movement. You understand how things change? The agenda goes forth. It's got many, many Trojan horses. Many are on the go right now. This sexual equality, all these different equality things right now are really Trojan horses off the left. This is the enormously influential in 1970. To book called Limits to Growth. This is where they wanted to deindustrialize the West altogether. Call for a totally new form of society, with much greater restrictions on human freedom. Isn't that amazing? Here we have it. We need we need two thousand one to make it happen. In two thousand twelve, one-off limits. Uh, authors Jorgen Randers produced another book called Two Thousand Fifty Two, launched at the annual meeting of the World Wildlife Fund, in which he specifically praised the Chinese model and express concern at the possibility of counter-revolution, so there to be I put a lot of work into, in a totalitarian system under whatever guise which we have today, which is terrorism, to stop any counter-revolution for, for, for your way of life being drastically changed by tyrants. And then goes on to say that uh, Maurice Strong, the man who organized much of the United Nations political maneuvering behind the climate fiasco, has always been a Sinophil, a Chinese a China lover, following his implication in the Iraq oil for food scandal, Mister Strong moved to Beijing. It's true enough that all these guys are really tyrants, as they go up there and pretend to be so moral, and they have the right to guide all of you because they're so moral, you see. And they're all they're always involved in awful scandals. But being tyrants, then naturally they uh, they're entitled to that. It's is not just the ardent eco-left that sees China as a model. In 2006, Peter Kurtzakian, Kurtz- Kurtz- a prominent Calgary-based energy economist, wrote a book with a hysteria-inducing uh, title called A Thousand Barrels a Second. And he claimed that China was lucky because it had a golden opportunity to engineer society that does not fully experience the level of oil addiction that we've known in the West. And it goes on and on. It's a good article, actually. I'll put that up again. I'll put them all up at the end of this part two. But it's, it's awfully interesting that here's an article here, for instance. When I mentioned Maurice Strong. You, you find it on Wikipedia. He was actually picked up by Rockefeller. And Pushed and trained into the position He is this global leader of the environmentalist system He brought us uh, many of the the, the ongoing um, meetings we still have today With biodiversity and the rights of the animals and the trees And everything else but none for the humans, etc, etc But it says here, 1976, at the request of Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau Strong returned to Canada to head the newly created national oil company Called Petro-Canada he then became chairman of the Canada Development Investment Corporation, the holding company for some of Canada's principal government-owned corporations. But later on, actually, he was brought back to to privatise our electrical system in Ontario, for instance. Everyone has been involved in there has been, there's been big scandals, you know. Also, it says on December 31st, 1986, American Water Development Incorporated a corporation controlled by Maurice Strong and his associates, William Ruckelshaus, Richard Lamb, Samuel Belzberg, and Alexander Crutchfield, Jr., uh, filed an application with the District Court of for Water Division Three in Alamoso, Colorado, for the right to pump underground water from the lands of the Louis Maria bacagrande Number four, and another lands in Sagucci County, Colorado, and Colorado's San Luis Valley, and sell it to water districts in the the Front Range urban corridor of Colorado. It isn't all things to do with what you need to to live, you understand. That's what I'm talking about. Remember, too, that uh, Pierre Trudeau, the dad, uh, one of his best pals, was Harold Lasky, who was an outright communist, basically, who taught Marxism in universities in Britain and so on. I'll put that up tonight, too. And then... I'd just like to touch on this article to do with the inner circle they expect to be picked, as probably already picked by the masters of the world, around Justin Trudeau. And who are they for these liberal lefties, you know? And you've got to remember back to talks I've given at com over many, many years of the history of the group. That set out to basically take over the world's supply of every, everything that folk needed to live on, but also the complete wealth of the nations across the world and bring in a common political system with a sen- ultimately a central government. And that was again the Lord Alfred Milner Group, based in London, that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Council on Foreign Relations. Group, and members also came out as the Trilateral Commission the big players that manage all of these things. And even a historian for the CFR branch in the U.S. put out in his own book uh, that this group's been running the world since at least the late eight, or even the mid-1800s. But this article says every few weeks uh, through much of 2014, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau met on Parliament Hill with a eclectic group of business executives, university professors, and think-tank policy Wonks, as they call him, along with a few of his own members of parliament. This article talks about the Liberals not getting round to formally announcing the roster of Trudeau's Economic Council of Advisors until almost the end of 2014. About eight months after its first meeting, far from trying to attract maximum attention to it, they seem to want to leave the council largely unnoticed. And that's more important because the advisors behind Presidents and prime ministers are generally the most important people, since uh, they help; they really run the show. You know, the prime ministers and presidents are sold like packages to the general public. Uh, you're a consumer, and they package it up for you, the consumer. That's the whole image maker making phenomenon that uh, has been on the go for a long time. So what was important for us, for this group to have, it was meet a, meet a few times, is to have done substantive work before we started talking too much about it, said Toronto MP Christia Freeland, who co-chairs a council with Nova Scotia MP Scott Bryson. We wanted this not to be about press releases. The suspicion in Ottawa whenever a politician assembles a blue-chip panel is that deep thinkers are window-dressing while the real decisions will be made by the usual partisan operatives." Assessing the influence of Trudeau's group will have to wait until the Liberals' 2015 election platform is unveiled. Well, that's been not even really done yet. Still, members of the council say they sense real potential. Discussions are very in-depth and tend to get into the weeds a great deal. It's not just blue skying from 40,000 feet, says council member Mike Muffett, professor at Western University Ivy Business School. And the gun gone about Muffet himself uh, amongst academic specialists. Again, Again, academia, the intelligence are on board, certain ones, you see. And it says, too, given Trudeau's emphasis on middle-class income stagnation, it's no surprise he's turning to professors such as Korak and Milligan, uh, who's another Maclean's writer and contributor for ideas. He mentions George Gosby the chief executive of Calgary-based Alta Group Capital, Inc., who previously served in the, the Economic Advisory Council of Jim Flaherty, Harper's finance minister from 2006 until shortly before his death last spring, it brings to the table an Albertan business perspective not often associated with the federal liberals. And then going to Frank McKenna and other names that the public may have heard before, well, they tend to, it's not really in the packaging. As I say, they don't package the advisors. Uh, they're behind the scenes. It's more important to keep them quiet. Now, this article talks about uh, Trudeau's predecessor, Stephen Harper. And he said the media says it was a climate change sceptic. But the new prime minister brings a different attitude. Remember that science is to control us all. And this whole scientific kerfuffle. Uh, with all the different scientists on board with it, uh, because they're going to raise their own status into a more important status than they already have. Before we, to, before, we used to pretty well ignore the climate. It was either raining or it was dry or it was sunny. But uh, not anymore, Now It's very very important, you see, uh, to, to bring us all to our knees so they can control us all. Anyway, so for years climate change activists have criticized Korean government as a global warming laggard. And the Prime Minister, Stephen Harper, who has been in power since 2006, has never taken climate change seriously. And lots of folk haven't taken it seriously because they know it's bogus. Anyway, it says, when Canada failed to meet the carbon cuts set in the Kyoto Protocol, a treaty Canada signed and ratified under a previous government, Harper simply withdrew his country, quite rightly too. But the surprise election of Justin Trudeau yesterday promises to change that perception. Liberal Party leader emphasized the very real danger of climate change and pledged his support for what he called a pan-Canadian approach to the issue. In 2015, pretending that we have to choose between this economy and the environment is as harmful as it is wrong. He said in a speech earlier this year, written by a speechwriter, obviously. It says, even with the resounding win, however, it may provide surprisingly difficult for new Prime Minister Trudeau to enacting strong environmental and energy policy at the federal level in Canada, Control over a Canadian environmental and energy policy rests largely with the country's powerful provincial leaders. Well, that's already been settled because a few months ago I read it on the air that um, the federal government, even under Harper, had told all the provinces, uh, the parliaments in the provinces, to put forward their ideas for. Uh, basically, environmental policies, so it's good could do a federal one. It says, indeed, the country explicitly leaves authority over natural resource management to the provinces, and many Canadians still recall an ill fated attempt in the 1980s by the, f- the federal, Homestead Feral, but as federal government to grab a larger share of the profits from energy resources in individual provinces. It says, um, says that program was championed by none other than Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau, Justin's father. Provinces have enormous authority in so many areas that there are huge regional differences on the issue, said Barry Rabi, Professor of Public public Policy at the University of Michigan. Koreans have struggled mightily to put together a federal policy that addresses emissions. For these reasons, Trudeau appears keen on implementing a carbon pricing scheme that would set targets for emission reduction at the federal level and allow for provinces to design programs independently to meet those goals. Now, who would be the principal advisers to Trudeau? And it says here, General Butts, a principal advisor. Gerald Butts has been friends with Trudeau since their McGill University days and is said to be so close to him that he had a hand in writing the eulogy Trudeau famously delivered at the funeral of his father, former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. And now, it actually says here, Uh, that uh, Butts was principal secretary to Ontario Premier Dalton McGuinty, and is the former president and CEO of the World Wildlife Fund Canada, Prince Philip's organization, the guy that wrote the book, remember, Prince Philip, that if he could come back as another life form, he come back as a virus and kill off a good chunk of humanity. So that's the principle. Now, these advisors are more important than the guy in front, believe you me. Because they're the real, uh, you know, radical, totalitarian types that don't care about... So they Actually, have the, the communist system, when they tell you at the top they jump, you jump or else, you know. And everyone then knows what or else means, for sure. And then Katie Telford, national election campaign co-chair. And um, a few other ones, too, I'll put up. Uh, among, amongst them, too, are Stephen Bronfman. Chief fundraiser, uh, the scion of the Bronfman Seagram's liquor family. That's the guys who started the whole uh, <laughs> incredible story, actually. It's a good story, a good book to read, is Peter Newman's book on the Bronfman family and how they set up and ran the illicit liquor trade during the roaring 20s and 30s and so on. And uh, incredible, incredible uh, life these guys have had. This is set up way in advance. The politicians getting paid off to to bring it in, the prohibition against booze, knowing that they'd have the complete monopoly of all the booze, and they ran it in from Canada to the States. And and then Canada um, also made it uh, prohibitive too, uh, and the States allowed it again, they just reversed the flow. Uh, incredible story of of how they got their billions and uh, how they made their booze as well. Uh, they brought in whiskey from Scotland. The barrels that were still had a lot of uh, real, real Scotch in it, and they put battery acid in it to leach out the remaining alcohol, and made up their own concoction. You see, and they sold it into the states, and, and that, that was the, the real big mafia in its day. Utterly ruthless too. But anyway, that's another one. Stephen Brothman, a descendant of old Sam Brothman. But they're respectable now because, you know, doesn't matter how you start in this, this system, as long as you become stinking rich, then you're suddenly respectable. And then all the other uh, different characters who'll be on board with it, too. But you'll have many more that are not mentioned because they're too important about yeah But it just shows you that nothing's ever as it appears to be. And um, so, anyway, the, here you have uh, one of the guys, is a, he was head of the World Wildlife Fund for Canada. Uh, they're on board with the whole climate change thing and uh, They're taking away off all human rights, etc, etc from people, where you can live, how you can live and all the rest of it uh, And the, so the whole climate agenda is going to rampage ahead like never before. It's going to be absolutely amazing to To live through the next few years actually as they bring this in it'll be gradually to start with, of course They won't attach you too much, but they'll start increasing it, increasing it, increasing it until you can't drive or you'll need permits to drive for carbon, and uh, and you'll probably eventually get a rationing system. And I'm sure it's worked out years ago by the world totalitarian movement, you see, that once they bring in the driverless cars, you'll only be allocated according to your status in society and the justification for even having a vehicle under Agenda 21. Uh, they'll, then you'll they'll have uh, one day you jump in your driverless car and the voice will come on saying sorry you've you've used your your quota of uh, mileage for the the month or whatever it happens to be and you can't go anywhere. Remember too, the restriction of movement is of is a very important thing for all totalitarian systems, always has been, always will be. But uh, we're living through uh, the ongoing agenda, of course and Canada is going to go further and further into the mire as it brings in the new system. It is really interesting to study the social sciences and those involved in marketing who understand behaviorism and social psychology, all of these different things. The guys who specialize in selling you things, who wrap things into packages, including personalities, all fake of course, and sell it to you like they sell the cars. You know, when they sell the car uh, on a, a lonely road, uh, where there's no other vehicles, of course, and you're and the thing's going over 100 miles an hour but with ease and comfort, doesn't tell you anything about the car or maintenance or costs or guarantee of the transmission or anything like that. They sell you a fantasy, you see, and it's always been like that for an awful long time. The selling of fantasy, something to make you happy, and they package these little pop stars up with the same kind of techniques of course and to try to get the women's vote on board with it too and it always unfortunately oh. t- tends to work uh, and to get the, the young uh, Trudeau for instance who's still well he's really in his 40s but uh, he looks a lot younger and uh, as I say that social uh, professor talked about the uh, social science professor talked about him being like a, a little pretty boy that uh, they package and sell as pop stars and as long as they get in, it doesn't matter as long as the party gets in. And his, as, as his father has said, it doesn't matter. Because they, once you're in, you can do what you want. And we know what they want to do, which is the whole international global agenda, of course, for their masters. Who really are always behind the scenes in every single country in the world. And But they still play this left-wing versus right-wing nonsense up. Because, as I say, the bankers funded and set up the communist system in the first place. And remember, too, the international bankers want to control society. They are guaranteed their payments, then all their massive compound interest, etc. And uh, and they can have you uh, living the way that they decide through their academic specialists uh, how you should be living, you see, instead of having free choices in different things, etc., etc. Until you get to the stage that Aldous Huxley said, you get to where the people would love their servitude. Remember, too, in this Marxist system, loved by the bankers, uh, that, that uh, they have a division of labor and brave new worlds, yet all of the foresight into what became genetic engineering, where the different categories of important down to the lessers in society would be given, uh, would be bred specifically for the particular tasks. And you wouldn't give ones at the bottom, uh, for instance, uh, a high intellectual ability, and stick them on a conveyor belt, just picking out little odds and ends on on the belts. Uh, That would be reserved for those who had their junk genes, you might say, removed from them. The the genes give you your personality and some of your IQ as well. And you see genetics completely going uh, in that direction too for such a long, long time. This is an old agenda, remember, folks. And political selling and packaging of their particular front men or women is an old, old idea, which works awfully well amongst the, the general populace that doesn't really know much about what's going on. And they're not... They expect the media, like Brzezinski said, to do the reasoning for them. And if the media doesn't say, you better watch and be awfully careful about this person, you're, you're thinking about Putin in power, because here's what they're real like, and here's what they really want to do, etc., which is destroy your country, internationalize it completely, and to a very old, old uh, idea of how the world should really be by international revolutionaries. Remember, most revolutions are bloodless, they're cultural, and Yuri Bezmenov talked about that too, and how that incredible success of changing the West by changing the culture through academia, and through entertainment and all the rest of it, how they could change the culture of the West and demolish that which kept it strong. And it was awfully successful. Now, I don't cry over spilt milk because what's the point? What's past is past. And uh, I don't become some kind of cheerleader either for the general population because you can't tell people what to think or how, or how they should view things. It's up to them. And if they choose to be ignorant of things willfully ignorant, uh, there's nothing you can do about that. And the conditioning everyone's had today is so incredibly successful, awfully successful through scientific programming, as as, uh, Lord Bertrand Russell said. The scientific techniques are used through school, even preschool, and through all children's fiction too, is meant to socialize them into political correctness. What really is nice, and what's bad regarding topics and so on, thoughts that you might have, so that you self-sense yourself, you police yourself, you police your own mind throughout your entire life to be a good person. It's awfully, awfully interesting. The social psychologists, too, have terms for it, you know, where you hear the people getting up in front of the populace today, uh, even in local events and things like that, and they call it virtue signaling. And virtue, of course, is the right way to think and the right morals to have and ideas to have, all ones which have been okayed and stamped with the quality of seal of approval by the masters of the world, you see, in your culture. And I call it also social printing. that's how I call it. Uh, it's a, a form of um, not just signaling, but preening in, in public where they come out with all the, even in local events, they come out with all the right things they believe in the sexual equality of all kinds of, of types of sexuality, etc. They believe in the climate change, and we do a lot about it, that they tell you up front, oh, I'm, I'm so good. Everything that's pretty correct, I believe in, and I'm saying right now to show you how good I am with virtue and the social, uh, the virtue signal and the virtue preen in front of the audience, you see. That's a, a done deal today. You see all over the place. That's the credentials for getting up in front of you. And it's, it's well, it's like a, a tape recorder that's been downloaded into everybody's brain uh, by the masters of science, of course, of the mind and cultural, cultural training. It's all been done. And so you have displays of this virtue preening. You might say, how good am I? I, I you, you must see how, how good I, I am and with all the right things to save the world, and, and save the polar bears, and, and of course they're, they're all going to drown when there's no North Pole nonsense, etc. All that stuff, and they say it with a deadpan face. And that's scary, folks, because when the same group are told by their masters, through non-fiction and fiction and, and, and incessantly, that this particular group is bad, uh, they'll become the ruthless commissar types who will turn and execute people down the road. That's how it works for ridiculous things, for even having opinions. And I really mean that, too. That's the scary thing about humanity. <laughs> when, you saw, when, you, when you really read up on the types of executions they had in the Soviet system or in the communist China system, you can't fathom it, The people would condemn them with straight faces for the things they condemned them for and had them executed, never mind the people who actually did the executions as well. It's horrific, actually. And it's always been of interest to me as to how they can play up the Nazi atrocities and we have over 80-odd million people slaughtered during the whole Soviet era. Uh, it, it, there's an absolute silence on it. Silence. But I don't get stuck on countries because the same phenomenon, as Plato said, basically, if you want to alter human behavior, you study how they've acted in the past to introduce certain morals and, and modes of behaving, etc. And you can, as long as you know the format and study it and introduce it in the right sequence, you can change it again and it'll be, they'll behave exactly the same way again. And that can happen in any country, you see. That's why we're the most observed, scientifically observed and studied creature on the planet. Not the ants, not the birds and bees or anything like that, Not but humans, you see. Because those who <laughs> lust after power. And that's so important to say. You understand that there are people who lust for power. I've met some of them throughout my life, and I've listened to them talk. And they all sound the same. It doesn't matter what particular form of totalitarianism. They stand for. They all believe in using uh, helpers in academia to train the generations of children and to be the obedient, very obedient uh, servants of them to behave the, the, and act the way that they're told to without question. It's always the same thing. So Nazism, fascism, communism, all have the same goals. End goals They all end up The same place anyway And that's why The big boys That came out With all of this Who funded all parties And all sides During the conflicts Of the early 20th century all through it Do fund all sides They know That they can get Their goals through It doesn't matter If it's done Through someone Under the guise Of a communist system Or a liberal system Or a right wing system It's all the same agenda Which they ultimately control None of these parties You'll notice Ever says anything Ever There's an awfully good reason for it, about doing away with a current, inadequate, corrupt system of finance through central banking. And how, what's the point in trying to earn money if it's constantly getting devalued? It's like trying to create a carpet on a loom while the one you're standing on is being unrolled underneath you all the time. But we say this is normal, this is good, and they call it a science of economics, and we get crashed two or three times a century now and plundered by the big bankers and nothing changes. Why is that? Why are they all, all these parties on board with the same system they won't change? It? It's because there's only one agenda with one bunch of global masters who rolled it out under Cecil Rhodes and then the Alfred Milner Group in Britain, the Rolling Institute of National Affairs, CFR, Trilateral Group. All the same bunch who brought in the World Bank, the League of Nations, then the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the World Trade Organization, all of these private associations that now rule our lives, and we don't vote for a single one of them. It's not up for voting, you see. That's what's so important. It's startling, isn't it? It's all the same agenda, only one agenda. Only one agenda And now to get back To finish off basically by going back To what I talked about At the beginning The letter written To George Orwell From Aldous Huxley Who wrote Brave New World And think about it over and over again I always do, always have done Agreeing with all that the critics Have written of it, I need not tell you yet once more how fine and how profoundly important the book is. May I speak instead of the thing with which the book deals, again, this awfully important term, the ultimate revolution. The first hints of a philosophy of the ultimate revolution, the revolution which lies beyond politics and economics, and which aims at total subversion of the individual's psychology and physiology are to be found in the Marquis de Sade, who regarded himself as a continuator, the consummator of Robespierre and Babouf as a massive sexual pervert. What do you see today? Well, there's no perversion anymore, is there? It's throwing the term out the window of all kinds. The philosophy of the ruling minority in 1984 is a sadism, a sadism, which has been carried to its logical conclusion. Remember... You can make them happy, obedient servants by using sadistic tricks on them, which, and they don't realize that by going along with it, all they're, they're basically, they're virtue um, signaling and I call it virtue social grandstanding and pinning in front of the public. Uh, they're actually mocking you all if you don't go along with it. And there's always fear behind it, if you do say something contrary to it as well. By going beyond sex and denying it, where in actual fact the policy of the boot on the face, that's what you're partly under that, and, and, and a big way under Huxley's way now of the indoctrination process, partly by the, the boot on the face, can, can it go on and definitely seems doubtful. My own belief is that the ruling oligarchy will find less arduous and wasteful ways of governing, out of satisfying its lust for power. And these ways will resemble those which I describe in Brave New World. And then he goes into again, how we looked into animal magnetism, hypnotism, and struck by the way in which for 150 years, the world has refused to take serious cognizance of the discoveries of Mesmer, Braid, Esdale, and the rest. Now today... I've gone into many times in different shows I've, But today I've mentioned the techniques that Bertrand Russell talked about With his two books on science, basically And how they can control everyone through specialized indoctrinations so That the subject will never be aware they're being indoctrinated in facts. So go to cutting dot com website, remember folks And you can get an incredible wealth of information That I've done over many, many years from guys who helped set up this present system, including indoctrination processes uh, when they started and when they were well underway and bringing you up to date today. And remember, too, when you get in there, it'd be a good thing if you'd certainly help me out by buying the books and discs or donating a few bucks at a time, because so many people are using the website all the time and all this archive of information, which is free, and they never even... They tell me a lot, actually, about people too, because what is their value of getting all the information, which they use in their own books and in their own shows in North America and so on, and outside? But what do they think of the society they want? They're actually, they may think they're actually fighting, or they're against it in some way or another, when they won't even contribute something to someone who has suffered a great deal over many years to get all this out. And see, you see, if you don't think about things or people, you are pretty well doomed, aren't you? The problem with the world is this world is so materialistic today. Uh, and we can be happy in our own delusions. We, we can delude ourselves into thinking everyone's doing okay. When they're not doing Okay. That's called willful ignorance. That's really, you know certain things here, but you decide to be willful. I don't really want to know. What have you, how many times have you heard that about major events or topics that are coming up? They don't want, they don't want to know. I don't want to know. Oh, that's uh, upset me, I don't want to know. That's willfully ignorant. Here you ha- are with all of the facts that are going to affect all their lives in the minutest to the most drastic ways. And they don't want to know. That might burst their happy bubble. The bubble that's been created by the system that indoctrinated them, and they live inside of it with their little hobbies or whatever else they do. And they don't care about what happens to other people. So you got to think about it, you've got to really, really think about it. And for all the people I've used that lived long before me, they helped put things together, and I had to spend years and years and years, all whole life actually. Studying it, and I started very early studying what really was happening I want to know why the world was wrong as I saw it How could Britain, uh, this Great Britain they called it That ran a good part of the world How how come most folk that I knew were utterly broke and working class And lived at a real austerity level Which you can't imagine today But you're going to be taught it gradually over the next few years what happened to all that money? Who did profit from it? Who benefited from it? Who gave their lives for it and all the rest of it? You see, so I did an awful lot of studying. I came out with the Bertrand Russell books and all that on the air years and years ago, and it's been copied by other hosts uh, that even adapted my bio into theirs. It's quite amazing, isn't it? So you can influence so many people, but you don't get a penny from, from them. There are some out there who do occasionally donate to me, and that's awfully, awfully nice of them. And I was going to mention to there's one guy who just gave me one recently, a little donation, and he just to mention his name, I think it was Ray Man. But uh, most folk quietly just give me a, a couple of bucks here and there, and that's about it. I've got all these websites to run. I've got my own costs, of course, in all other ways as well. But it's astonishing to look at all the folk that are downloading and downloading and downloading, and the vast majority of them, and a lot of them ask me questions all the time, the email me questions galore, and so I have nothing else to do except answer them, and they don't ever send you a single penny. And you've never heard of them before, you know. Yeah, that, that's quite something else. So will, willful ignorance, I guess he's doing okay. Well, that's because you want to believe so, because you don't want to know that maybe you should pass a few bucks this way, or buy the books or discs, etc., at cutting dot com, Help out those. Help out with you. You understand what kind of world you're heading towards if you won't help each other out. You'll be taken for a ride yourselves by the big boys at the top completely who also have no care about how you're getting along or even if you are getting along. We have to get more humanity back into our lives and it's with multiculturalism as destroying that because the cultures end up settling in their own areas en masse and they all live quite happily inside their own communities. But in the process, they destroy the domestic populations and the old cultures. Uh, that's intentionally being used today with mass immigration from the sites that, that the, the countries have bombed out of existence pretty well with these ongoing wars across the entire Middle East which is all planned, of course. I've gone through the histories of that uh, until I'm sick of talking about them as well. Well documented. There's no arguing about it. But uh, everything is used, including the immigration, to destroy something else and bring in something new. But in the process, it destroys our humanity of uh, indigenous civilizations and populations to each other. You can't survive when you destroy that. Because what happens when you're in trouble? Who's going to help you? But anyway, I hope I've given you something with these last two talks on. I just picked Pierre, uh, Pierre Trudeau's son because that's how I got it in. They packaged him as the, the new star in the block and sold it to the populace because we are the consumers and they package up things for us to consume, including people. It could be any party today, it wouldn't matter. Uh, Because we'll have one agenda, and these ongoing treaties are signed by every group and every party that gets into power. It's ongoing agendas, as they always sign it and sign it and sign it until they get where... And if you think about it too, how come you always sign the same continuation, the same documentation? How come no one comes in and tears up and says, no, this is bad for the country? What tells you you don't have countries anymore? Countries today are only mentioned when they're using your troops and your finances and tax money. To go off and fight another war that will end up having repercussions on you back home, and it's not for your benefit at all. From Hamish Massel from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, a god on your god's skull with you.